are all ministerial students. Most of them are already pastoring or trying to. Every one of them have a call of God. The only exception is those ladies that they married or were planning to marry. We try to train them as well. And there is no way we'll ever send enough North Americans to reach our world. The only answer is to train these people, each one to go to their own people, and it is working beautifully. I could tell you about just one example. Uh, Cape Town, that's the very bottom of Africa, and we've had some work there for ages. We've been in Africa now 36 years, and, but that was so far. It was a thousand miles from where we lived. And we'd get down there and we'd teach and we'd work night and day and we'd talk and we'd get them all straightened out. And we wouldn't be gone a week until they'd get some false doctrine or some fall into error. And we've got to go back as soon as we can, but there's many places to be seen to. And we'd go back again. And this mess went on for more years than I'd like to even remember until God sent Brother and Sister Abernathy, Chuck and Janet Abernathy there. And they're not pastoring a church. They never have. They opened a Bible school. When we were there last year for their farewell service coming on furlough, there were 17 solid churches represented by Bible school students who had been trained. There are really many, many more. Those were just the ones that could get transportation to come. And by a wonderful series of events, the Lord made it possible for us to be there for their welcome back service this year. And here, this year, there was representatives from 20 churches there. And as I watched these men that stood there and did their part with such spiritual confidence and, and knowing what they're doing and so beautiful, I sat there and cried and thanked God for everyone that's taken a student to support on the foreign field. You don't know what you're doing. It's fantastic. Number two, I want to talk about those books out there. Now, that's true. I've got some out there, but I don't mean my books per se. I want to talk to you about when people are sick, don't send them flowers. Send them a book. Flowers perish so quickly. And, you know, I, I said, mentioned this to a small group of ladies recently, and they said, why don't you tell more of us things like this? We never thought about that. Get a good Christian book. Get a supply of them. A and whenever there's anybody graduates or has a birthday or is sick in the hospital or has a baby, give them some food for their souls a instead of things that perish or things that are cute or don't really mean anything. Let let's do something to get the Word into people's hearts because those books out there written by our people uh, portray the Word of God. And if you'd never thought about that, I felt led of the Lord to pass it on to you. And number two, number three, that's number two. Number three, I used to complain and say, God, why did you give me those old broad shoulders? I, I had such a problem. It was, it was better when I could had time to sew and make my own clothes. But now I'm in this position that the preacher says, well, come on, get your hands up there and praise the Lord. And I know if I put mine all the way up, my dress is going to split. Because I've got these extraordinarily broad shoulders. And I kept saying, Lord, what did you give them to me for? There must be, a, I believe there's a reason for everything. And he told me, he said, there's a lot of folks that have loads to carry and they need some help. And I made them broad so you could help other folks with their loads. I just want to say, and I don't really know how to say it, but I want to say I'm available. Wherever you see me, if you want to talk to me, of course I can only talk to one at a time, 
But if you want to talk to me, if you'll just wait your turn, I'm here, and I want the privilege of helping you carry some of your loads. And I wanted that established while I'm here. One night I was in a church, and we had a tremendous service. It was on a Sunday night. It was a very large church, and God had moved in a mighty way. He's the one that has to do it. And the pastor's wife came to me. She said, oh, Sister Freeman, you've preached so hard, and you know you're so tired. These people are going to kill you. And so she whisked me off to the office. I was never so miserable and unhappy in my life sitting alone in that office. God, that's your sheep out there. And maybe I could just touch them or just say, Jesus bless you, or just listen. And I said, never again, because the Lord whispered these words to me, feed my sheep. And ever since then, I've been trying to find ways to do it. I thank God for the letters that I received. I answer every one of them. Sometimes they're many months getting to me because I don't stay anywhere very long. This year, God was good. I got to spend two whole weeks sleeping every night in the same bed for the first time since 1975. <laughs> and I'm just as happy as I can be. Hallelujah. Now, the message that God gave me, he woke me up in the night one night and just spoke a phrase, just a few words. And I, I remembered reading that in the Bible, but I'll have to confess, I, I, it took me a minute or two to find it. Didn't recognize it immediately. But it was just like a song going over and over in my heart, over and over in my mind. And the next day I had to drive and drive in the cart just as though the wheels was repeating this refrain. And... Uh, and uh, and so I said, Lord, this must be something you're giving me, something special. Uh, but now I, I don't know how to handle it. You'll have to help me. And he said he would. But while I'm still weighing this and thinking about it and wondering how to handle it, I got a phone call from a precious friend of mine. She and her husband had been working overseas for quite a while, and her husband lost his mind, had a complete emotional collapse, and uh, she said, Sister Freeman, I just want to tell you what happened. She said, we got to this big airport. And I'd been telling my husband all week. He told me he's leaving me. And, but I told him, just, just go with me back to the state. I, I, I can't face getting on the plane and making that trip with three children. They're so active. And uh, you know, Daddy, she said to him, I'm less than half a person without you. I, I, I need your help so bad. Please, please just go with me to the States. But in that international airport, sitting there with her three children around her, he walked up and he said, this is it. Don't look for me. I'm gone. And he walked off and left her with the tears just raining down her face. And she said, Sister Freeman, I felt like that I was going to collapse, but I've got three children. I've got to get them back to America. I've got to think about a place to live. I've got to think about school. And then I remembered my Bible was laying in the top of my carry bag. And she said, I reached for it. And I opened it. And she said, would you believe that I could only see one verse? It was as though that whole page was blank. She said, let me read it to you. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. Most of us sisters know verse 9. I almost cut my teeth. I did cut my wisdom teeth on it. For in him dwelleth all the fullness. 
of the Godhead bodily. We love that one, but listen to the next verse. And ye are, and ye are complete in him. Woo! And that was the phrase that God had been hammering into my mind for three days. Ye are complete in him. She said, I read that, and it took me a while to get the tears out of my eyes, and then I finished reading it, and it says, which is the head of all principality and power. Ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. She said, Sister Freeman, I wiped away my tears and said, come on, children. It's time for us to get the plane. And my little boy said, shouldn't I go look for Daddy? She said, Daddy says he's coming later. Said, We're going to catch the plane now. She said, I took my children by the hand and marched onto that plane. For the first time in my life, I found out that I was a complete person. In him. In him. And ye are complete in him. I have the privilege tonight of addressing the segment of the human race that has more battles with inadequacy, the feeling of inadequacy, than anyone else. A woman's role is a difficult role, and we're so quick to say, oh, I can't. This is impossible. I, I can't do any more. This is all I can stand. This is all I can take. But the Lord made me to know as he dealt with me about the completeness that he wants to give us. That we have to come to that place that we step out of our inadequacy into his completeness. It's not what you can do. It's what he's going to do for you and through you and in you. And you need never again say, oh, I could never do that. You don't know what you can do when he makes you complete. And after the Lord began to open this up to me, I, my daily Bible reading just happened to be the first chapter of St. John. And there I noticed that John said, and of his fullness, have all we received. I had to lay my Bible down and just do me a little jig to realize that all this time when I was struggling with my weakness and my lack of ability and my inadequacy, His fullness has been given to me. It's just as though it's right there and all I have to do is reach out and lay hold on it. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. You see, I don't know what you need, but he knows. And a few minutes ago, he promised me that he's going to meet your needs. And I assure you that if your need is met, it will be Jesus that met it. Hallelujah. Of his fullness have all we received. Now, John said that, and he didn't limit it. 
There's one thing that really irks me. I just can't hardly stand it. When in the churches, as we visit churches, we've been on 14. We started deputation almost. <laughs> That's true. I, I'm busy working down the story of my mother's life, and, and I just got through writing up the first official deputation that we went on, which was in 1944. Now, that's 40 years ago. I, I, my, my arithmetic is terrible. But I, I can at least, you know, we get round figures like that. <laughs> I can figure it out. No fractions, no halves. I can figure it out. But in visiting churches and camp meetings and conferences, and someone comes up to me and says, Well, Sister Simmons, I'm just an ordinary little old saint. Bosh! There ain't no such animal. What you are is God's special child. You may be hanging around the edge and dabbling in the shallow water and, and hanging on to the shadows and afraid to get out from behind the door, but he's got the fullness there for you, and all you've got to do is step out and enjoy and operate in and be used by him. It has nothing to do with talent. It has nothing to do with ability. It has nothing to do with status. It has nothing to do with IQ. It has everything to do with a plan that God made. Oh, hallelujah. About five years ago, the Lord gave me a message on fitly framed together. I preached that. I don't even remember what I preached. enjoyed it at the time. But see, I just have to operate on that flow of the Spirit. And that Spirit of God made me to know that when you get fitly framed together, you're going to be complete in Him. So this is on target. Hallelujah. Ye are complete in Him. Instead of sitting around beating yourself over the head with what you cannot do, why don't you accept your inheritance? Now, if a lawyer were to knock at your door and start telling you about some great aunt or great uncle or distant relative that has died and left you a fortune, you wouldn't stand back and say, you know, oh, no, no, I, I don't think I could handle that. <laughs> well, why in the name of heaven do you step back and refuse to take what the Lord has to give you? Oh, hallelujah, and just in case you think now that I, I want to refer to some other scriptures here that are just so fantastic. Uh, <laughs> we are complete in him. But now in Colossians 1, verse 11, let me read 10 too because it's so beautiful. Uh, Colossians 1, 10 and 11 says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. You know what that means? That means pleasing God. Ooh, I want to please him. More than anything in this world, I want to please him. And, and he wouldn't talk about it if it wasn't possible. Being fruitful in every good work. That means, you know, helping with Mother's Memorial and all that good stuff. And increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might. Oh, I'm too weak. I, 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 I can't do it. I don't know how. You don't even have to know how. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Now, not according to what somebody else can do, 
Not according to a measure that's been set by a man or by a person, but according to his power. He gives us all might, A-L-L-O. Thank you, sister. He gives us all might. I don't know how I can do it. You can't. Honey, you can't. But when you step into his might, and it's available, and it's yours, hallelujah, unto all patience, oh, there he hits us right between the eyes. We're the impatient ones. I got to tell you this. When I, I married an angel, you know, they don't usually call men angels, but I really, I did. He's the sweetest thing. We've been married 47 years, and we drive down the road up and down America and Africa holding hands. It's nice. And the thing that's, that's so beautiful to me is I keep remembering back when we first got married. Now, I am very quick. I, I mean, I just, I was born that way, I guess. I don't know if being the oldest in the family and the only girl and having six little brothers had anything to do with it or not. But I, I learned to hurry a long time ago and I've never found a place to stop. Uh, and, but also that means that this, this little unruly member is kind of quick too. And uh, when we first got married, I, I wanted so much to be sweet and kind and patient like he was, but just somehow or another, the unruly member would trip me up. And so I'd, uh, you know, well, but for goodness sakes, can't you hurry a little bit, you know? And then, but we'd go to bed that night, and then he's just sleeping so good, and here I'm rolling and tossing. Now, I haven't said anything real ugly, but I did get impatient. And that's wrong. And then I was praying, oh, God, help me to overcome this. God, help me to overcome this. Lord, I don't want to be like this. Why am I like this? And he said, all right, I'm going to help you overcome this. I want to confess to you that for six solid weeks, every single night, and I'd put it off sometime until it was real late, but finally I'd have to say, honey, and he'd wake up, yeah, 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 what do you want? Honey, please forgive me for getting impatient this afternoon. Please forgive me for being impatient. You see, he knew the only way that I was going to get that impatient spirit of mine under control was to have to apologize for it. And, so, and as hard as I tried, I made up my mind, I'm going to bite my tongue. And when I saw a situation arising, that, you know, and I felt myself begin to prickle, you know, but somehow or another I couldn't hold it. It would just come out. That impatient word. And then I'd have to say, let me tell you something. If every time you're impatient, you ask forgiveness for it, you'll get that thing under control. <laughs> I've even asked my kids to forgive me for being impatient with them. I've had to ask sinners to forgive me for getting impatient. There's a way to tame that animal. And it might be our besetting sin, we females. <laughs> but... He gives us all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering and joyfulness. Now, I knew, there was a time when I could not equate long-suffering with joyfulness. You know, I mean, I thought long-suffering was... 
Hmm. You know, just putting up with it. But uh, do you know he wants us to put up with it joyfully? <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and when we learn to endure all of these things that we have to endure, and there's always something to endure. i got to tell you one on me. I got so excited the 18th of April. I was to drive to St. Louis to pick up my husband coming in from Africa. And, well, I, I knew I was excited, but I didn't know I'd gone crazy until I got to the filling station and locked the car. I don't know how in the world I could lock the car just getting out to go pump some gas. But I managed it. <laughs> and my jacket was in the car, and I'm about to freeze to death. And, of course, I can't pay for the gas because my purse is in the car, too. But thank goodness that little old young fellow at the filling station was very nice. And uh, at first, I was so embarrassed. I mean, dumb old lady, lock your keys in the car. <laughs> but then I just got to sitting. I just, there wasn't even a place to sit down. I just kind of leaned up there. And I thought, you know, this is good for me. <laughs> sure. This book says that everything that happens to us is good for us. That he's, there's a place he's having to fill in some incompleteness in me. Did you ever realize that everything that happens to you is God working on you? Back in the olden days, I mean back in the days of the, I'm sure most of you had Greek mythology in school. I, I don't remember much about it, but I just know I had it. Well, back in those days, every house had to have the bus the head and, uh, and a, a figurine of the gods, some gods or another. And, of course, you were very wealthy. You'd have a lot of them, and they were made usually of stone. And uh, there were craftsmen that would sell these uh, heads in their marketplace. This was a big business because everybody thought this was their worship, that they had to have the head of a god. I am so glad we worship them in spirit and in truth, <laughs> that we're, we're free from bondage like that. But uh, it, back in those days, it got to the place that there were people that would sell some of these things a little bit cheaper. But the reason they were able to do that was because that they had filled in the gaps at, with wax. Now, you looked at it, it looked like a beautiful stone, but if the weather got too hot, it was a kind of a grotesque-looking thing, minus noses, ears, or, or whatever, that it got hacked off, chiseled off unexpectedly. And so it got to the place that some of the good craftsmen would put up above their shop without wax. Do you know that that's where we got our word sincere? The original meaning of sincere is without wax. I'm afraid a lot of us try to fill in the places that are lacking and the things that are lacking in our lives by our own manufacture. But you see, that's like wearing a mask. It'll slip sometime or another, or the fire will just get hot enough that it melts it. And then there you are revealed in all of your imperfections. There's only one thing that we can do, and that is to move close to this one who has given us the privilege and the right. On Calvary, he bought the right for us to be Operating in his fullness. Oh, that is beautiful to me. I'm going to tell you all a secret. 
I was the most bashful, long-legged, skinny girl with the biggest feet. My feet was bigger than anybody's. My nose was bigger than anybody's, I thought. And I was skinnier than, of course, time has taken care of that. But <laughs> I was so bashful that if I had to get up in class and answer just one word, I'd get deathly sick and sick and start vomiting. I'd get the sick headache. I mean, I was so afraid. Now, get me with two or three of my little girlfriends, and then I could chatter. But put me in front, or I didn't even have to stand in front. I mean, if I had to stand up at my desk in school and say one word, I all but collapsed on the spot. And when the Lord called me to preach, I was so scared. Because this insecurity and this feeling of inferiority or unworthiness, and, and I didn't know how I'd ever be able to do it. And I nearly killed myself the first three years I preached because I thought I had to fast every time I preached. <laughs> well, I believe in fasting, but I also believe in common sense. And thank God for the dear old minister that sat me down and talked to me, and he said, Honey, you won't live to preach very long unless you start eating a little bit more. <laughs> you, fasting is not going to buy anything from God, and you're not going to con God into doing anything with fasting, but... Fasting is to subdue your body, and I believe in fasting, and I, I still believe in fasting. I haven't stopped fasting, but I have learned to use some wisdom. Yes, yes God wants you to have this. I, I'm not a microphone preacher. I'm not, I don't belong to the electronic generation, <laughs> but I'll do my best. I try to adjust to whatever. But I want you to understand tonight that God can take the most unworthy and the most insignificant and the most helpless and the most unqualified and the one with the least ability and he can do something that is impossible to be done otherwise. And it's done by His fullness. You step out of your limitations into His fullness. The truth of the matter is that we have a trust deficiency. This is one of the byproducts of affluency. Our affluent nation, every last one of us here that's over 20 years old can look back and remember days when we wasn't near so well off as we are now. But our affluency has almost destroyed our trust in God. And spiritually, we have never had so many people that were suffering from a lack of doing and being what God wants them to do and to be. And this is the only answer. Your answer is Jesus. You step out of your inadequacy into his fullness. This rich father you have wants to give you his fullness. It's not what you can do. It's what he can do through you. If he could just get control. If you will turn yourself over to him. If you're willing to listen, take orders from him. And forget about what somebody might think. Or somebody might say. Oh, 
oh God, deliver us from ourselves. So that we may receive the fullness, the completeness. He would not have said, ye are complete in him. He would not have inspired the apostle to say those words if it were not true. And they have been recorded for our benefit. And ye are complete in him. And while we aren't anything, I know that I am nothing. Behind my name stands the initials. S-S-B-G. Sinner saved by grace. And that's all I am. I'm nothing but Jesus is all right. <laughs> He's all right. He is the head of all principalities and powers. Hallelujah. And ye, ye, no, let me change that. You, 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 you are complete in him. Hallelujah. And now don't sit there and look at me with that, who, me, look on your face. Ye are complete in him. Hallelujah. I got another scripture too. I want to read to you here because it is so beautiful. Over here in Ephesians, the third chapter, I had to get a new Bible because I wore out the page by Ephesians 3 and the page by 2 Corinthians 4 <laughs> and the page by Philippians 2. <laughs> I, I wore them out. Hallelujah. I want to start reading with verse 17 in Ephesians 3. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now look, you got the Holy Ghost when you finally, you know why some people have to seek the Holy Ghost so long? Because they don't believe they're going to get it. And when you, before you got, ever got it, you had to come to the place that you believed you was going to get it. And the thing that's going to keep him in your heart is faith. Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Oh, how I wish that our foundation and our roots and our branches were love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Now, isn't that neat? We can know something that cannot be known. It passes knowledge. But we can know it. <laughs> Hallelujah. That ye might be filled with the fullness of God. And most of us still operate as though he was just rationing us out a little blessing on Wednesday night and another one on Sunday morning and another one Sunday night. That ye might be filled with the fullness of God. Hallelujah. You see, what we have to learn to do is to let God take over. It's not what you think or what you want or what you desire, but it is Him. Many years ago, I was preaching a revival. I used to do a lot of that and loved it before I went to Africa. And this little Texas town, East Texas, and uh, the pastor was a precious man, 
Brother Joe Costi decided it was time to fix up his house a little bit. So he pulled off. Now, I am so dumb about building, I can't even describe what this was, but they, they used to make houses like this. Uh, would be like a board standing here and another one there, but there was a crack between them, and then they nailed another board over the crack. Now, I, somebody knows the name of that. I don't. But he decided to take off those outside boards and do something else. I don't really know what else he was going to do, but something. And, but he, he did that one morning, and a norther blew in that night. And uh, my bedroom had three outside walls. Well, by the third day, I had pneumonia. And I finally sent for him, and I see him come in the bedroom, and I'm so sick. I said, Brother Kofty, I can't do it. I didn't know things. <laughs> I said, I, I, I haven't got any voice to start with. And, and, and I'm coughing. I'm so sick. I've got a high fever. What can we do? Why don't you preach tonight? He said, Sister Freeman, we're having a real revival. And, and you've been doing the preaching, and I feel like you should continue preaching. I said, you really think I ought to go over there and cry? He said, I believe you should. He said, I'll let my wife come help you get dressed. I never had such a time getting my clothes on. In those days, I had two yards of hair. And the only way I could keep it on my head was to braid it and wrap it around my head, just, you know, three times. And I thought I'd never get that hair braided enough. I thought I'd never get over there. But finally, I'm sitting over there on the front seat. I, I didn't want to sit on the platform. I said, let me just sit on the side seat. He had some seats going this way. Let me just sit there. He said, all right. He got up at the first of the service. He said, now look, we believe that God is able to heal pneumonia or whatever's wrong with Sister Freeman. And I just feel led to say that if any of you feel led to come and pray for her as, and during the progress of this service, you do it. And he said, we're going to go on with the service, but now if somebody feels led to pray for her, you, you just get up and where you are, whether we're singing or testifying or what, you come pray for her. Well, I was so embarrassed. Six or eight of those precious people come and prayed for me, and I just stayed as sick as I was. I mean, there was nothing any better. And they've gotten through with the song service and the testimony service, and the, and the third special song is being sung. Oh, God, this is it. They're going to call on me. I don't think I can even stand up. And this ain't working. <laughs> and about that time, from the back seat, here came a little old darling. She got out on her hands and knees and crawled the last ten feet to get to me. And she just reached out and touched my toe. Now, she'd been a backslider for 12 years. She'd just been prayed through for three days. The deacons had prayed for me. Nothing happened. The Sunday school teachers prayed. The youth leader prayed. The pastor prayed. Everybody had prayed and nothing happened. But you see, God had picked out that one little old darling. <laughs> and she just touched my toe. Uh, I didn't hear her pray. I didn't hear nothing. But something hit me. And the next thing I knew, I danced to the pulpit. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Don't you dare get out of your place as a woman. God put us under the male leadership of our church. I want you to know that I believe in the husband being the head of the house and the pastor being the head of the church. And I'm not encouraging you to get out of your place. But I am encouraging you. 
to develop into the fullness that God has in design for you. That little old lady come to me after church and her face was just shining. She said, Sister Freeman, when Brother Costi said, anybody come and pray for you, God told me to come and pray for you. And I told him all that time I wasn't worthy. Your worthiness has got nothing to do with it. It's his completeness, his fullness that we're talking about. Hallelujah. You don't know how I'm holding myself down. <laughs> you just don't know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God. I found myself one night in a very strange situation. I, I never got into anything like that, and I'm not even going to tell you the details. It's too gory. But I, I will tell you this, that I didn't know what to do. And I said, Lord, this is so uncomfortable to be in a situation like this. I don't know what to do. There's nothing in all my years of experience. I can't find anything to help me now. And he said, that's why I allowed it to happen. I don't want you to depend on your experience. I don't want you to depend on what you've already learned. I'm trying to teach you some new things. I'm trying to show you some new demonstrations of my power. I'm trying to show you what I can do. I'm trying to move you out of yourself into my glorious power. Mm. I believe also, and I feel it's the time to say this, that this completeness in touches and engulfs the physical part of us. I believe that we can move. You know, we make quite a production out of getting prayed for. And I, I've got this little habit. Every church I go in, I look for the bottle of oil. I just love that bottle of oil. I, I looked around here, but they got it all closed up. But I'm pretty sure there's one here. Uh, but right there? Right? Where, which corner? <laughs> which corner? Oh, yeah, there it is. Oh. I like that because the Bible says this is something that God's Word says do. And I love it. And best of all, I love the name that goes with it. But you know what the Lord showed me one night? He showed me that 99 and 9 tenths of the people that are prayed for are healed. But then what do they do? The lid's put back on the bottle and it's set down. And the preacher steps back. And you start back to your seat. And you say, well, I still got that pain. And you make a decision to believe the pain instead of believing the name. You see, that oil that's in obedience and that name that covers all principalities, all powers, all authority, all dominion, it's top of everything. You can't help but get healed. But we choose to believe the symptoms instead of believing what God has done. i got to tell you about me and arthritis. I got it in my hands. It started in my thumbs. And friend, I had never been properly sympathetic. I am now. I still remember those nights that I propped myself up in bed and sit there with my hands up 
That didn't take the pain away, but it just relieved it slightly. And it was the only relief I got. And every time I went to church, I know my husband got tired of it. Bless his sweetheart, though he never said a word or acted like it, but every service, here I come, please pray for my hands. Didn't sleep awake last night. And they'd pray for my hands, and I'd go back and hurt all night again. Well, I am not or have never been a musician, uh, but I can do some kind of corn pone turnip greens playing when there's nobody else. And uh, when uh, this particular night at church, there was nobody else, and so I was playing. And times like that, though, boy, it, it, it sounded pretty good because when the Lord started moving, we sang that one chorus 40 times. And I mean, I'm going all over that keyboard, something I can't do. And I was just having a wonderful time. And right in the middle of it, the devil leaned over my shoulder and he said, You're going to hurt tonight. You're going to suffer all night long. You know, and lots of times when he does that to us, we say, Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 that's right. I wish we could stop agreeing with our enemies. There's no telling how many victories you'd win if you just quit agreeing with the devil. Because he always puts in his two cents worth, but you don't have to swallow it. We need to learn some resistance to his voice. We need to learn how to say, you're a liar. I don't believe it. I believe God. Oh, that phrase has brought me through some of the most terrible, critical, dangerous situations. I believe God. When you say that, I believe he sends an extra troop of angels down to start working on things. When you just say those words, I believe God. But three years of arthritis in my hands, and it had gotten up to my elbows, and I forgot to say I believe God. But I was going for prayer. I was giving them a lot of practice, praying for, <laughs> praying for my hands. But that night when the devil leaned over my shoulder and told me that, I got so aggravated with him. I said, you old slimy outfit, you. Threaten me. Here, I mean, several people had got the Holy Ghost in that service. And we was all enjoying. Everybody was dancing and shouting and rejoicing and backsliders praying through. And here he's got to stick in his nose and say, you're going to hurt all night tonight. You know when you use your hands, you hurt a lot worse. And I was using them that night. I went over to where my husband and the young evangelist was standing. And I said, I am not coming for prayer. For prayer. I am coming to be healed. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want you to know that night I slept like a baby. And I slept like a baby every night for a month. And one month later, I woke up with that old burning fire back in my joints. I woke myself up, putting my hands up to get a little bit of relief. Well, I believe in raising your hands to praise the Lord, but that wasn't why mine was going up. So I put them down. And see, here's where the battle is so often lost. I said, Satan, I am healed of arthritis. And I plan to stay healed. You can bring back the symptoms, but you can't bring back the disease. You're trying to bluff me. I call your bluff. <laughs> You have got the name of Jesus. You know who he is. Call 
life. You don't have to just hunker down and let him sit on top of your head, ride over you. I've read to you God's word. He wants to make something out of you. Hallelujah. Do you know that I that, that was it for six months? But he don't give up easy. Six months later, it came back again. And that time, it lasted all night long. I would not change. You've reached the end of side one. Please turn.
I got to Africa in 1948 and got sinus. I'd never had it in America, but I got sinus so bad, all the houses there made of masonry that many times in the night I would bang my head on a brick wall trying to jar loose the mucus so that I could get a little bit of relief. I'm allergic to all painkillers, allergic to all medicine. I cannot take anything. And I was prayed for, and I was prayed for, and I was prayed for. And I have gotten my baby's diaper and set with that yellow mucus running out of my eyes and my nose and my throat at times when it would break loose. It was terrible. One day, one of our sweet little black preachers said, Mama Ruti, that's the name they called me over there. He said, can I pray for your head? I said, oh, please, brother. And he prayed. And you know, it took me three or four days to realize that for the first time since I got there that that pain was gone. And then three weeks later when I woke up in the night with a sinus pain right here and right here, I said to my husband, Oh, Daddy, I thought I was healed. And I accepted back that dirty package that God had taken away. Don't take it back. You don't have to. I learned my lesson. I still got sinus. It's never been as bad as it was. And I can't even generate any faith to believe God for it because, uh, because he healed me one time and I took it back. So I've always got that, it's just a little twinge now and then. Oh yeah, that reminds me. And I thank God for the reminder to stand my ground. I want to counsel you, sisters, and you brothers that are here, stand your ground. You don't have to buckle down. You don't have to give in. You don't have to accept defeat. You don't have to accept the tragedies and the badness. It's just all bad. When the bad things happen, God will turn it into good if you'll just stand your ground. Hallelujah. Well, six months after, I had that other test with that arthritis. And all night long, I told the devil. I said, Satan, I am healed. I wouldn't put my hands up. I wanted to. They were hurting so bad. I wouldn't put them up. I said, I'm healed and I'm going to stay healed. And then I'd say, thank you, Jesus, for healing me of arthritis. And I'm hurting so bad the tears is rolling down my face. Thank you, Jesus, for healing me of arthritis. I'm healed. Thank God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm healed. Thank you, Jesus. I'm healed. Thank you, Jesus, for healing of arthritis. Thank you, Lord. It's gone. And it wasn't gone. It was there eating on me like fire in my bones. But after that night, hallelujah, <laughs> that was the last time. I, I'm not sure, but I think it's 18 years ago. Hallelujah. 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 completeness in him that will take care of everything. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, this doesn't mean that you won't have a trial now and then. You'd never know how big he was if you didn't have something to go through. I can say that the last five months, this past five months that Brother Freeman and I spent in Africa, we face more devils and more rebellion and more disobedience and more sin than I ever remember in all the years that we've been missionaries. One night in the middle of the night, I said, Lord, 
I know you're going to work something good out of this, but it's awful hard to go through. I was heartbroken over a couple of young preachers that got the big head and was making a mess out of everything, most of all their own ministry. I was hurting over some things like that. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, you don't think you're going to have this great revival in Africa and the enemy take it laying down, do you? But I got up and I had me a hallelujah spell because you see what that meant was? We're going to have some more revival. <laughs> oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And when it was all said and done and we looked back, Brother Freeman and I talking about it a couple of nights ago. He said, can you believe out of all that hurting and our hearts aching and that perplexity and really sometimes not knowing what to do about this or that, that God brought it all around to where the work is stronger than it's ever been and God is moving more than he's ever moved. We saw things, things have happened. If Brother Jerry Richardson comes around to preach, you see him in the time that he's here. I don't know if he is from Madagascar. I was there in January, the last of January this year. Heard this testimony firsthand uh, from the men who were there. One of our young preachers, some men laid wait for him. He just opened up a new church. These people are worshipers of the spirits and the ancestors, and they were angry because the, the people had turned away from this by the power, delivering power of the Holy Ghost. They stoned him to death. One big stone caved in the whole, his whole forehead, the whole side of his head. They picked him up dead, took him to the hospital. The doctor said, why do you bring a dead man? We can't do anything for the dead. They took him home. He lay there. You, had you heard about it, Sister Potter? I'm trying to think of Brother Francois's uh, last name, uh, Jobert. Francois Jobert. And when he got... Uh, Sister, uh, Sister Potter's been over there. She knows what I'm talking about. And when, but this just happened. This just happened in the month of January. And his, some of his family, some of the young preachers, got around that dead body that had laid there for three days. Three days. And prayed for him. And God brought him back to life. <laughs> The only limitations that God has is what you and I put on Him. Oh, we are limiting Him. We're living like spiritual paupers when He owns everything and is the head of everything and we're here in His authority and we are complete in Him. Hallelujah. But the best part of that story is that the men, I can't remember the exact number, but I think there were 15 or 16 of them that did this. And when they heard that he's back alive again, and they knew they left him dead, you know, it was kind of got embarrassing to them. So they decided they better come and tell him they're sorry they killed him. <laughs> and, and when they came and told him this, he told them, oh, that's all right. I forgave you while you were doing it. He said, let me tell you about the love of Jesus. And all of those men tonight have been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. That's more of that being rooted and grounded in love. Oh, God, if we could just forgive a little bit more. If we could just love a little bit more. Unforgiveness, the lack of forgiving, 
is one of the things that keeps us in the shadows. There's people, the Holy Ghost is just witness to me, there are people here that things have been done against you, maybe things said about you, someone has treated you badly, and you have never really put it under the blood. You've never really forgiven. You see, from the cross, our great example said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I don't care what's been done to you, my friend. If you don't forgive, God is not going to forgive you. If we could be made perfect in forgiveness, there's no telling what God could do. I am talking tonight to people that way back in their childhood, way back in their early years, they were abused. And the humiliation and the shame is like something that's always gnawing at the back of your mind. Did anybody ever tell you that the blood takes care of it all? But it can't until you forgive the folks who did it. The Spirit of God witnessed to me that there are some of you that desperately need to forgive someone. I don't know what they did to you. I don't know how they mistreated you. There's some things that the Lord has brought in front of me. Some of you have been sexually, physically, Some of you have been falsely accused. But you've got to really and truly forgive. You've got to really and truly forgive. And then, you've made another step towards being complete in Him. You're free as a bird. That sets you free. Gives your your soul wings when you forgive. It's awful quiet here right now, but that doesn't bother me at all because I feel there's a deep spirit of God that's digging into our lives right now. And I want you to listen to the Holy Ghost. And maybe you step aside like this saying, well, I don't really hold it against them. You see, forgiveness has to be a definite act that you take that thing and you put it under the blood of Jesus. It's not forgetting it or just pushing it aside. It's you, as Christ would do, forgiving. And then as you forgive, you are forgiven. We can't hold on to bitterness and resentment and bad feelings and be complete in Him. He never meant for us to try. He wants us to be free. He wants to make you free of everything that's hanging over your head tonight. And please don't think that the only place of service for God is behind the pulpit. It's not what I wanted and I never planned to do it, never wanted to do it. But I never found peace until I agreed to do what God wanted me to do. But there's so many avenues of service where you can be fulfilled and satisfied and complete in Him. Oh, hallelujah.
It never ceases to amaze me that Jesus would even have us. The very best of us have got so much that's ugly and filthy and petty and picky and cheap in our background. That God would even look down on us and choose us to be a part of his bride. But all the glory is not supposed to be at the end of the road. There is a glory waiting for you here and now. And that's the glory of completeness in him. God wants to take away some loads that you've been carrying. There's some things that's been hammering on you inside your own mind that no one knows anything about. When no one's looking, your face probably shows it, but we've got this mask on. Keep smiling, and we should keep smiling. But God can give us genuine smiles. Genuine smiles. Free from all of that nagging uneasiness. Did you know that fear is one of the most tormenting things of our age today? There are people, there are some of our precious sisters that live in such fear. Maybe they won't even talk about it. Afraid I'm going to get cancer. Afraid of what happened to my children, my husband, my family. Afraid of what might happen to me. And fear is of the devil. Fear is of the devil. I have been there. I know. It will rob you of your joy. Rob you of your peace of mind. It will wreck your mind. It'll make you a nervous wreck. And a lot of the nervousness. You know, there's so many people come, pray for me, I'm so nervous. Nine times out of ten, I can put my finger, there's fear in that life. When you put that fear in God's hand, and you enter into his fullness and his completeness, he will make you victorious over fear. Listen, I know what I'm talking about. I was still scared of the dark when I went to Africa as a missionary. It, it took some time for me to get to that place that I could be alone at night and rise above that fear into his completeness. This is, it's, not, it's not what you can do to, you know, con yourself now, hey, there's nothing matter, there's nothing wrong, and you just uh, simmer down now and just, just take it easy and quit acting like this. That won't do it. You can lecture yourself all you please, but you've got to enter into his fullness. And maybe I should tell you the never-failing way to do it. I know you hear a lot about this, but I want to bring it down to the nitty-gritty where you live. Worship. We save too much of our worship for the house of God. We had a little situation at the School of Missions. This is a part of our work every year is to assist in the School of Missions. And these missionary kids come back, and one year there we had a crop of them that was so rebellious. And this is what they said. Sister Freeman, we just hate the worship here in America. I said, that's a terrible thing to say. They said, let us tell you what we mean. Don't nobody put their hands up and praise the Lord unless somebody tells them to. 
Nobody will praise. Just praise God. Without somebody says, do it. Said over there on the field, they praise God. And nobody has to say, everybody raise your hand. Or everybody say this. Or everybody do that. They just worship God. And they, these kids said, we're not going to do it. We're not going to stand up and turn around and say this and say that and do this and do that. Because we like worship to be spontaneous. I said, listen, if the pastors didn't do something like that, these folks here in America would never worship God. It looks like to me. I said, and you are being disobedient to the man of God when you refuse to do what he says. I said, I'll tell you the truth, I don't like it either. I would rather see people moved on by the Spirit of God without somebody pushing a button or pulling a string. I'd rather see that. But two wrongs don't make a right. You need to learn how to worship. When you're driving, you're all along, you've got a flat tire. You need to learn how to worship when they come and tell you that your child's been expelled from school. You need to learn how to worship when you get word that your mother has cancer. You need to learn how to worship when, you, when they tell you you're fired. You need to learn how to worship when those saints are acting so ugly that you don't know what to do with them, preacher's wives. When you learn how to worship, you enter into the fullness of God. It comes down to that. When you learn how to worship, you enter into the fullness and the completeness of God. Wistful thinking won't get it the job done. And even begging. You know what the Lord did to me this week? Something hit me right in the face that I had to do something about. And I said, oh, Jesus, I need you. I need you. Lord, I need you right now. He said, I've been here all along. What do you want me to do? We're acting like he's well out there somewhere. We should be worshiping while we're washing dishes or cooking food or doing laundry or driving or pushing a pencil or whatever you do. You can worship. Your heart can be crying out and lifting up those praises. And as you worship him, I feel so impressed in closing to tell you a story that I've told many times. I even wrote it in my book. But yet, I'm going to obey the Lord and tell you this story. In 1973, 11 years ago, we got a phone call one afternoon in Nairobi, Kenya. The message was brief and there wasn't a lot of details, but they simply said, Bill Couples is dead, John Harris is hurt, and Brother Freeman is cut to pieces. These three men had gone to go dedicate a church building. When we got the message, we did not even know what had happened. Bill Couples is dead, missionary only on the field, seven months. Of course, he had done two terms in Liberia, but it was his first seven months and the only seven he had in, Niger I mean in Kenya, Nairobi. John Harris was missionary there, had only been missionary there for, what, a little over a year. And he was badly hurt. And Brother Freeman is cut to pieces. Now there's just us three missionary wives. Our mission started in that country in 1972. We didn't know a lot of people. And here's us three missionary wives. One has lost her husband. 
Sister Harris's husband was badly hurt, and mine was cut to pieces. There was a lot of things to do. It was awful hard to try to figure out what to do first. And, of course, the first thing was to try to comfort this dear lady that has lost her husband. And that boy that has lost his father. And that took all of my thoughts for a little while. And finally, we had to get a doctor. It looked like the sister couples was going to have a heart attack. And finally, they were quiet. Some friends had come. A man that we knew heard about it, and he came. He said, let me take you sisters up to that little hospital where your husband is. And I said, I would love to go. But I know if my husband was here to tell me what to do, he would tell me to stay with this dear lady that has lost her husband. I said, Sister Harris, you go and let me know just as soon as you can what has happened what it's all about. Now, after she left, and everything was quiet, and Sister Couples and her son were resting, and all of a sudden it hit me. My husband is cut to pieces. I don't know where. I don't know how. I don't know what's happened. Oh, God, I want to pray. But all of a sudden, I, it was as though my legs turned to water. Fortunately, there was a chair there. I fell into the chair. I was supposed to get on the telephone, to phone America, to pass word, to make some plans, to make arrangements, or do something. I didn't really know what to do, but all of a sudden, it just, I was so weak I couldn't do anything. I collapsed into that chair, and I said, God, I want to first of all pray for my husband, but I see there's a danger. I'm, I, I'm, there's a danger in front of me. There's a danger that I'm going to say, why did you do it, God? Why did you allow it to happen? I don't want to do that, Lord. So my first prayer is, Lord, help me not to question. You see, when you start questioning, you're going down a dead-end street. And nothing that you want to see happen will ever happen on that road. That road is downhill all the way and dead end. So I said, God, help me not to question. And then I said, but Lord, how should I pray? Then the next thought is, if this is God's time to take my husband, I don't want to fight against God. I did not want to give him up, but I didn't want to be like a lordy little child saying, yeah, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. And it, if it was his will, and I said, Lord, I don't know how to pray. Tell me what to pray. Show me what to do. And I got the most startling message I ever got in all my life from God. He said, you're not to pray for him at any time. You are to praise me. He said, there will be thousands of people praying for him around the world. And that's true. There may be some of you that heard about this at that time and prayed. I know some of you did. But the Lord said, you're not to praise me. Or you're not to pray at any time. You're to praise me. And I, I couldn't help it. I said, but Jesus, that can't be right. Not to pray. I thought you prayed about everything. And he put two scriptures in front of me. Ephesians 5, verse 20. The first part of that verse says, Giving thanks always. Always. That covers a lot of time, doesn't it? For all things. God put that in front of me like it was on a billboard. Giving thanks always for all things. I had never noticed that it said for I was raised on in everything, give thanks. And it's my fault that I got the wrong idea, sort of, hallelujah. You know, just in spite of it, well, hallelujah. And stop there. But the scripture says, giving thanks always for all things. And then he showed me another one. Hebrews 13 and 15, which reads something like this. 
and by him, therefore, let us offer continually the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of your lips, giving thanks to his name. Then I understood. I'm not to praise God because I'm thankful my husband is cut to pieces. I am to give him a sacrifice of praise. We thought the sacrificing was all done away with the lambs and the bullocks and the pigeons. Turtle doves. Oh no. One of our problems has been we have never yet learned to give God the sacrifice of praise. Well, that's all it takes for me is to hear from him, to know his word. And I'm not going to tell you that I shouted while I did it. In fact, the tears was pouring down my face. But I said, God, thank you that my husband's cut to pieces. Thank you, Lord, that I don't even know how it happened. Thank you, Lord, that I don't even know where he's cut. Thank you, Lord, that I find myself. And here, here the devil got in a little thought. While I was thanking God, he said, yeah, here you are in a country where you don't even know anybody. If you was in some other country where you're well known and where we've been established as a mission for a long time, you'd know better what to do. But here you are. You don't even know anybody. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know anyone. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, that I am in a new country. At every single thought that the enemy brought to me, I thank God for it. I cannot tell you what happened to me in the next hour, hour and a half. It was more than an hour that I sat there and simply praised God. You see, you may have praised him, but you probably didn't do it enough. If you will praise God long enough for your problem, for your sickness, you see, we come, we want the healing. If you first thank him for the sickness, you'd get your healing a whole lot faster. Because praise lays a foundation of faith. And as I began to praise him, I began to feel a little bit better, but at some point there, the only way I can describe it is my spirit shifted gears. I got into overdrive. I, I, that's it, it, the only way that I can explain it. You probably have never praised him enough for the thing that's weighing you down and the thing you're struggling with. If you'll praise him for that thing, well, uh, let me tell you what I have seen, what I have asked people to try and they have come back and reported it worked for depression. Did you know that's the number one problem of America? America that has everything, doesn't know what it is to go hungry or do without very much. And here we are, a depressed bunch. Because our mind is on ourselves. And don't think it's not in the church. I'm not going to take account, but I guarantee you there's some folks here tonight on tranquilizers and, and pressure down medicine or, or lift her up or, you know, they take the press down and then they have to take the lift up. And it's a vicious circle that does no good whatsoever except hooks you on something and you're not free anymore. If you will praise God for 10 minutes out of every hour all day, you cannot be depressed. Absolutely impossible. There has been dozens of people that have taken this advice and come back and reported to me, Sister Freeman, it worked. One woman set the alarm on her clock so she'd wake up all night long and praise God for 10 minutes and go back to sleep. And she was so badly depressed until the doctors feared she would lose her mind. And God gave her victory. I know what I'm talking about. Well, I praise God, and you know I'm not a business person. I'm so scatterbrained till it's pitiful. If I was to make some sermon notes, I'd lose them before I got to the pulpit. Or I'd get them upside down, or I'd end up with a grocery list instead. 
But do you know that that night, in that dark hour of my life, that God gave me for once in my life a cool, collected, methodical mind, that I knew what had to be done and at what time it had to be done, and every time it lagged, I just praised God some more, and then again I was on target. Oh, but the Lord said something for, to me when he told me to praise him. He said, if you'll praise me, there'll be victory. Now that don't always mean yesterday. It don't always mean tomorrow. It don't always mean next month or even next year. But if you'll just keep on praising, keep on praising. Praise has brought backslidden children, my own backslidden child, back to God. Praise has defeated cancer in our family. My middle child had cancer two years ago. Praise defeated the cancer. We thank God for her having it first and then thanked him for taking care of it. The doctors couldn't believe. Hallelujah. Praise will take care of it, friend. If there was some way that I could get a hold of God's people and shake them, I'm trying to shake you tonight. Hey, the answer's right here. Oh, God. Oh, God. Let me make a long story short. What happened was a runaway truck come down a mountain pass. It lost his gears, brakes, everything. Brother Harris was driving. Brother Couples was asleep on the back seat. Brother Harris pulled 23 feet off of the road, and the truck still hit him. Brother Freeman's left ear was cut off, was hanging down by a little bit of skin and cartilage. His left arm was hanging about an inch and a half of flesh. There was cuts all over his face and his body. He lost so much blood that the tan jacket that he had on, every thread of it was red. Brother Harris took it and tried to bind his arm to his body to stop the gushing blood. It was nine and a half hours from the time the accident happened until they finally got him to a, a, some medical treatment. They had to get on the shortwave radio and try to find a doctor at that little country hospital. And then when he got there, he'd been driving all night and he had to put his head down to sleep for two hours before he could go in. Talked to a nurse later on that assisted and that just happened to meet her, Brother Harris did. And she said the doctor came in with a knife to cut off Brother Freeman's arm. And she said, don't you do it, doctor. This man's a minister. Don't cut off his arm. And he said, but it's, it's going to be useless. Every nerve has been severed. There's not one nerve left in that arm. She said, he'll look better with a useless arm than with no arm. He said, I don't even know if I can sew it back together. Look, the wrist is broken. The elbow is crushed. The shoulder is crushed. The elbow bone is completely missing. It's gone. It's not even here. She said, doctor, you sew and I'll pray. God's going to give that little old Catholic nurse the Holy Ghost. I don't even know where she is, but I, 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 I thank God for it, and I know. Hallelujah. 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 By that time, I didn't, we found out later I was already praising God. You see what praise did? Moved in that nurse's heart to talk that doctor out of cutting off his arm. When I finally got there to go and see him, somebody else to stay with my dear sister for a little while, I went to see him. He looked like a dead man. His ear... Uh, a first aid technician had sewed his ear back on without benefit of anything. And it looked like a big old grubby potato. His face, I couldn't tell where the sheet stopped and his face began. He was so pale. And the doctor called me in his office. He said, Mrs. Freeman, your husband has lived so far. We don't know how he lived to get here. 
We don't know why he didn't bleed to death. He said, but he has so little blood in his body that there is no hope for him to live. I put my hand over my mouth. That, that scripture said, you fruit of your lips. Well, I didn't make a sound, but behind my hand I said, thank you, Jesus. The doctor says he can't make it, that he hasn't got enough blood to live. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for it, Lord. And then the doctor went on to explain there'd been an epidemic of hepatitis and malaria and there's no blood available in the country. They, were, they did not give any blood transfusions at all. He said, and without them, he can't live. Put my hand back over my mouth, repeated what the doctor said, and thanked God for it. Finally got him flown mercy flight to Nairobi, Kenya, to the big hospital, and there was a specialist from London, England there that took his case and operated on his arm again. He had, uh, the first man had set his arm like this. And I said to this specialist from London, I said, Sir, that arm must be set like this. Now, here I am telling the specialist what to do, but I, I worked in the hospital long enough to know that a broken arm, a bro broken elbow, will never be used again unless it's set like this to give it leverage. If they set it down like this, they'll never use it again. And, but he did what I asked him to do. But then there came the day that he called me in, and he told me the same thing the other doctor said. That day I went prepared with a handkerchief. And behind that handkerchief, I thank God for everything that doctor said. He looked at me finally and said, Mrs. Freeman, I don't think you're even listening to me. I said, oh, yes, doctor, I heard every word you said, and thank you for telling me all about it. That night, I, I, when we went back to the hospital again to see him, I had just been with him for a few minutes or a little while before that. That night, the Harrises took me back to see him. Brother Harris had recovered. He still has knots on his ribs and some complications from that accident. But when we went in, there was no sign of life. I begged them to let me stay at the hospital. They refused. We'd promised to go witness to some people. Brother Harris said, would you rather I take you home? I said, oh, no, let's do God's work. Let's go witness. Nine o'clock that night, we walked into the Harris' home. I went in my room, kicking off my shoes and turning off the light at the same moment. And I said, Jesus, I wanted to stay at the hospital tonight, and they wouldn't let me. Thank you, Lord, they wouldn't let me stay at the hospital. I wanted to be with him so bad, Lord. Thank you that they wouldn't let me stay with him, Lord. Thank you for it, Jesus. I said, Lord, I could never lay down in that bed and go to sleep. It's just as bad as it can get. I thank you, Lord, that it's just as bad as it can possibly get. Lord, I just thank you that it just looks like a hopeless case. Thank you, Lord, for this hopeless case. And I'm going to praise you all night long. I walked the floor and praised him as long as I had strength. And then I sat down on the floor and was still praising him. I heard Sister Harris's clock marking the hour and the half hour. I started praising the Lord at 9 o'clock midnight. I still praised him. 2 o'clock in the morning, I still praising him. And when her clock struck the half, half past two, 2.30 in the morning, that whole room lit up with the light from heaven. It was so bright, I pulled my Bible over and I read Psalms 149 by a supernatural light. And then I stood up and I said, Jesus, thank you for giving me another assurance and forgive me that I needed another assurance. I said, but today's going to be a busy day and I need a little bit of sleep. Now, I'm one of those people that don't sleep very much and don't sleep very easy. But I just laid down across the bed and went to sleep. I came out of the room. Brother Harris was walking up and down the hall. It was 7 o'clock in the morning. He said, I thought you was going to sleep all day. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, I come from that hospital last night determined I'm going to pray all night long for God to spare Brother Freeman. He said, you know, Brother Freeman's the only father I have. I don't have a father. I don't even have a grandpa. Brother Freeman's my father, and he knows so much about Africa, and we need his counsel. Africa needs him. He said, 
I, I just said I'm going to pray all night long. He said, Sister Freeman, you're not even going to believe what I'm going to tell you. I said, well, tell me, Brother John. He said, at 2.30 this morning, he said, my whole room lit up as bright as day. Yeah. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, Brother Harris, I believe you. That same light was in my room, and that light was in that hospital. I said, I know you've got an appointment this morning, but I'm getting a taxi. I'm going over there. And I got over there, and they wouldn't let me in his room. And the devil says, yeah, they're laying him out. Thank you, Jesus. The devil says they're letting him out, but I don't believe it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You see, you just got to keep on praising. You got to keep on. You just don't stop. You just keep on. And I walked up and down that waiting room, and there was a lot of other people there, and finally I couldn't stand it no more. I, I, I just out loud, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, God, I'm just thanking you. Lord, I praise you. Well, I got my equilibrium back and my peace and my joy. And finally they come and said, you may now go in and see your husband. He was sitting on the side of the bed. He said, good morning, hon. Are you all right? He hadn't been able to say a word for three or four days. And he said, would you take my glasses over there at that wash basin and wash them real good? And while I'm washing them, he said, then come over here and get a hold of my good arm and help me up and let me start walking to get some strength in my legs. This laying in bed makes a man weak. And so here we are walking up and down the room and he's giving orders. Write this letter, send this telegram, do this, go see these folks. Make this phone call, and I'll send you out. Okay, all right, okay, all right. And finally I said, wait a minute. I'll do everything that I can, but I want to know something. I already know when it happened, but I just want so bad to know how. He said a nurse came in, and I pointed at her wrist. I couldn't say a word, but she knew I wanted to know what time. So she told me it was 2 o'clock in the morning. He said it was, seemed like to me the worst. I, I, I'd been feeling awful bad at times, but it seemed to be the worst that it had been. And... I thought it wouldn't be bad just to leave this old body. He said, I guess it was about 20 or 30 minutes after that nurse left that I felt Jesus standing by that bed. I thought he'd come to take me home. He said, I, thought, I, I hate to leave you, but he said, I've hurt so much. I want to get out of this body. But then he didn't take me out of the body. Something began to happen. He said, I felt something just tingle. It didn't feel bad. It felt good. He said, you know, ever since I was hurt, my feet and legs were like blocks of ice. Because the doctor said there's no blood in them. He said, but they begin to get warm and they begin to tingle. And all of a sudden, I realized Jesus has given me a blood transfusion. He said, I went to sleep, a natural sleep, and woke up feeling wonderful this morning. Just a little bit weak in the legs. And we started praising the Lord. Hospital or no hospital. Boy, God bless Dr. Stewart. I don't know what he thought. I heard him clearing his throat after a while. I knew he was there by me, but it was awful hard to come back to reality and talk to him. But I finally opened my eyes and stopped praising God and said, Good morning, Dr. Stewart. He said, Lady, I can't explain. He said, Something happened in this room in the early hours of the morning that we don't understand and we can't explain. But because of whatever it was, this man can go home in a week. Everything's all right. I thought he meant he could leave the hospital, but one week later we got on a jumbo jet flying back to our little apartment that we had at that time in South Africa. He gave me all the x-rays, a long report. 
He said, now you must take him to this these three orthopedic specialist surgeons, and they will remove the cast when it's time and further treat him. And I must warn you, he'll have to have several operations to find the right way for that arm to hang uh, because you do understand it'll be useless. I didn't have a handkerchief, so I used my hand again. Thank you, Jesus. The doctor says his hand's gonna, arm's going to be useless. We got down there. Sure enough, they said the same thing. Came the day to take off the cap. They got it off, and he did this. And the doctor said, that's just a reflex. The reflex has never stopped. That arm today is just as strong as the other arm. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The way to enter into his completeness is to enter into worship.